tonight. I <clears throat> want to talk about, well, I think this is an appropriate title, but we'll see when I end. It's called Untying the Knot of Me. I was curious what my voice was going to sound like over this new PA system. It's kind of interesting. <laughs> it's a quote that a friend gave me when he heard what title I was speaking about tonight. It's from Jung. One does not become enlightened by imagining figures of light, but by, but by making the darkness conscious. The latter procedure, however, is disagreeable and therefore not popular. <laughs> and that certainly is what I faced uh, this summer. I had the good fortune, as I seem to usually have some good fortune, to find myself in wonderful places on this planet. And for several weeks this summer, I was in the mountains of New Mexico, about 30 miles south of the Colorado border. And there's a, a ranch there that is owned by two people who give the space to environmental activists for the summer months so that they have a place to rest from their work. And it, they provide two-week programs for maybe 10 or 15 activists just to rest and be nurtured by the land. And my partner was the cook there this summer, so I went and joined him for some weeks. And it was very, very beautiful, about 15 miles from the nearest very small town into the wilderness. It was first homesteaded in 1926, and the land has never been grazed, and it's never been logged. 135 acres surrounded by 300,000 acres of national forest. And it was very wonderful for me to have the chance to be in this kind of pristine nature, to be held by nature for these weeks. And yet, as pristine, as the environment is, there is always the mind. <laughs> it seems, unfortunately, that we take our minds with us wherever we go. <laughs> there isn't a magic remedy to seem to quiet this mind. It's the same as when we come here and this environment is so supportive and nurturing and no rough edges. Everything is is provided for us, and yet we find the edges <laughs> somewhere, which are usually the edges of our minds. And in the same way, for me, there was one person, one person who I wanted to have a different relationship with than I was having. And in this case, it was more the non-relationship I wanted, I wanted to have a relationship, but it didn't seem possible. And since there was some continuity of our um, contact, it really started to stir some deep feelings for me. 
In fact, feelings that I haven't really felt to this intensity for a very long time, feelings of insecurity and worthlessness, a lot of fear. And I was so surprised by the arising of these emotions, so strong. And I lived with these feelings for some week. They seemed to be persistent and continuous. And I noticed that after some weeks that I really had a choice for how I wanted to hold this. I could allow myself to identify with these feelings and build this whole story or this self-image around myself about who I am based on these feelings. And if I allowed myself to identify with just these aspects of myself, I could see how it would overpower any other qualities showing themselves. Because these feelings are so strong, as we know when they arise, they're so powerful, that they can just overwhelm consciousness. And if I say, that's who I am, there's no room for me to perceive myself in other ways, either positive or in a way that I feel whole with myself, complete with myself. So I saw that I could either build up this story, which of course was happening in the mind. I could identify with that and believe that as true and who I am. Or I could see that actually by allowing these feelings to arise, by allowing these, myself to stay with this and not push it away, not hide, not say, oh my God, look what's happening, what does this mean about me? But by really allowing myself to feel and have these feelings completely in this support of the nature, being held by nature, that in fact I felt stronger. I did feel more whole in myself. I could still function. I wasn't thrown into deep despair. It didn't ruin my sense of confidence. And in fact, at the end, the last few weeks, as it started to dissipate, I noticed that the experience that happened through the days just felt like water. It had just passed over like water. It was just a, a memory in the mind. And I was feeling good in myself. I hadn't been shaken. I hadn't been destroyed by it. And I felt that it, it was such a good reflection for me to feel the, the real gratitude and the appreciation that I have for this practice. Because I know it's through my years of persevering with awareness and mindfulness that there wasn't the strong identification with these emotions and mind states. Even though they were still present, even though they were still in full force, there wasn't the taking it up as me, as I. And so I felt this deep appreciation and gratitude for the Dharma, for the practice, and it strengthened my confidence. 
It strengthened my knowing of the truth because it was just like water, like water passing over, something that happened, something I learned from, and that I'm still whole, I'm still complete. We seem to have this predicament that we're in of identifying so strongly with our experience, with the contents of our minds, with the feelings, the emotions that arise in the body. This is just our predicament as human beings for so many of us. A thought arises about who I am and there's the belief in that. And then the potential for that thought and the feeling that arises with it to overpower consciousness. We can't see anything else. We come, become completely narrow with our vision, and we just see ourselves as that. We're not able to open up and see all the other beautiful aspects about ourselves. This belief that happens, this, this process of identification, this is what makes us believe that we're a solid, separate entity. That I'm solid over here and you're solid over there and, and there's all this distance in between. Whatever we think becomes our reality this construction of our stories. We construct these, these houses, these buildings, these stories of our lives, and we take them to be true. A lot of people always ask, well, why? Yes, I see this in my mind. How come this happens? How come there's, I always, when I, when I was first seeing into this, uh, process of identification, it just felt like glue in the mind, like stickiness in the mind. There's just no, sometimes there's no way to just detach from that thought. It just seems so real, so powerful, and just like it has some kind of glue, you know. And people say, well, how come? How come this, we're in this predicament? Why, why do we believe in this sense of self, this sense of I that's separate from all of other, the other reality. But the Buddha said, this is one of the unfathomables. <laughs> that it's not helpful to think about this. <laughs> one of the four unfathomables, which goes into the category of the beginning uh, of existence not to think about the beginning of existence and how all this came to be, because <laughs> we're not going to figure it out, so there's no point in thinking about it. In case you're curious, um, the other three unfathomables, <laughs> I knew you would be, <laughs> so I did some research. <laughs> um, the one is to not be concerned about thinking about the mind of a Buddha, because until you're a Buddha, <laughs> you won't be able to understand. Another one is the uh, power of a highly concentrated mind. We can't understand the power of a highly concentrated mind until you have one. 
then you can understand. And the other one is not to dwell on understanding karma, the laws of the law of cause and effect. It's an only it's said that only the mind of a Buddha can make sense out of the actions, the actions and their results, the law of karma. So here we have this predicament that we find ourselves in. The predicament of believing in the contents of our mind, the movements in our bodies. So we are offered a spiritual practice. You know, there are many, many practices, and we come here and we have one called vipassana, or mindfulness practice. And this is to help us untie this knot of of identification, to help us see into this process of how we come to be an individual, solid, separate entity, when in fact, it's total mythology. It's not true. So we're asked here to look at our experience. And when we look, we see a number of things. One thing that we see is the changing nature of our experience. That when we really look into our experience, everything's changing moment to moment. Their thoughts, sights, sounds, tastes, sensations, feelings, sounds, moment after moment after moment, nothing seems to be fixed. When we look and see, this is called in Pali, anicca, anicca. And in seeing that everything's changing moment to moment, we see that in that nothing can give us any lasting satisfaction. Because in a moment, something appears, it disappears. There's no, no satisfaction that can be found in any of our experiences. This is called dukkha, or suffering. There's no satisfaction in our experience. And because everything's changing moment to moment, we can't find anything solid in our experience that we can call I, that we can say, that's me, and isolate that as me, who I am. Because then there's all these other phenomenon arising and passing that we could also say is me, is I. This is called anatta, or no self, no separate self. Everything is interconnected. Everything is related to everything else. And so through the practice, through the Vipassana practice, we incline the mind to perceive these three characteristics of existence. We sit still and we see everything's changing. There's no satisfaction. 
There's nothing solid. I can't find this sense of my, me, who I am anywhere. It's always changing. And we keep inclining the mind again and again and again, the repetition of this practice. Each time the mind wants to identify with some contents, we say, come back to the breath. Don't give it that reality. Don't make it into something real. When there's a feeling, just let the feeling come and go. Don't make, don't build a big story around it. And when we do this again and again and again, the construction of who we take ourselves to be starts to weaken. We start to see that we actually can't believe so much in all of these thoughts as me, because it's crazy. (laughs) You know, it's like the mind is like a drunken monkey had too many fermented grapes on the bush. It's like, how can I say, yeah, that's me, that's who I am? And, and we start to feel more confident in the awareness itself, in the knowing itself. We see that everything in the mind and the body is a changing process that there is no one behind it to whom it is happening. It's just happening. When anger comes, we feel that strong emotion of anger. It's the anger that is angry. The anger itself takes on the manifestations of tightening, the chest and tightening the fists and holding in the blood pressure. And it's the same for each person. The anger takes the same manifestation in each human body and mind. When there's fear, it's the fear that is afraid. The fear takes on its own quality its own nature. Fear has the the quality to block, to stop action, to, to press everything down so that it can't move. This is the the quality of fear itself. Fear has its own nature. Sadness cries. It's the same, I mean, it's so interesting that it's the same for each person. When sadness arises in a human body, it's the same qualities. The tears start to come in the eyes, the throat chokes up, the heart starts to pound a little, the hands get damp. It's sadness in the body. Each feeling feels all by itself we can start to shift the language that we use rather than saying, I have all this anger, or I'm really angry. We can just say, ah, this is anger. This is anger showing itself now. This is fear showing itself now. And by not being afraid to look at it through the non-identification, When we're identified with it, we often don't want to say, oh, no, I don't want to see that. That means this about me, that about me. 
We want to shove it away. But when we just say, ah, this is fear coming to visit, then we can begin to investigate it, begin to find out about it, begin to make friends with it. We change our whole relationship. It's not denial. We don't use this technique as a way of denial. This is anger, it's not me, you know? <laughs> Another way of just cutting ourselves off from it. But this is anger showing itself. It is me in that moment, but it's a different way of perceiving. It's me, but it's moving, it's changing, it's shifting. It's not solid. The less identified I am with my experience, it means that I'm more accepting, more allowing, which then gives me more of a capacity to be aware. I can be more aware of perceiving impermanence. I can be more aware of looking into perceiving that there's no one behind this experience. And it allows me, when I'm more accepting and more allowing, it actually means that more can show itself. More can reveal itself because I'm not putting the lid on. I'm not pushing away. I'm not closing off. So in a, in a paradoxical way, in fact, more shows up we may find ourselves experiencing even more fear and more terror and maybe more despair and loneliness. But we have more capacity to be with it. We have more confidence in the awareness, in our inner strength, in our own stability. We're not thrown off by it as much. Usually people so quickly evaluate their experience when they start having more terror or fear or anger. It's like, oh, I've lost the practice. Or I've lost the understanding. I'm doing something wrong. It's, again, the identification, the building of the story about what it means since this is happening. But in fact, it very well may mean that you have much more capacity to go deeper into your experience, into the places that were much more threatening, much more scary, and you can be there with more strength. What used to be very threatening to us is starts to lose its sense of threat because there's less sense of this solid person that's being threatened. There's no one here that's being threatened. Just these movements of mind, movements of body, it's nature. It's life flowing through, expressing itself, revealing itself. So these experiences of mind states and feelings and emotions might get stronger, but we're stronger. And when we say we're stronger in that, what's actually stronger is the wisdom. 
is the knowing of what's true, that that's not me. It's just life flowing through. Wisdom sees the non-self nature of these experiences. Wisdom knows this is not who I am. This is not who I am. These are passing impersonal phenomena. And when this wisdom, this wisdom can get very strong in us, and this Christopher uses the word unshakable wisdom. Unshakable wisdom, a, a wisdom that is not shaken by anything in our experience. That we have the capacity to embrace anything that arises. It's sometimes also viewed as the path of the warrior. That we can just, we can take that sword and cut through delusion and ignorance because we know what's true. I want to read something by Ajahn Sumedho, who is the abbot of the Amavati Monastery in England. He's an American who's been a, a monk for many, many years. Wonderful man. This is what uh, a transcription of, a, a short part of the tr of transcription of one of the talks he gave on this subject. Now we're sitting in a room full of karmic formations that we conceive to be permanent personalities. <laughs> That's a nice way of looking at it. We carry these around like a conceptions bag because on the conventional level of thoughts, we regard each other as permanent personalities. How many things do you carry around with you? Grudges against people, infatuations, fears, and things of the past? We can get upset just by thinking of the name of someone who has caused us suffering. How dare they do that, treat me like that, over something that happened maybe 20 years ago. Some people spend most of their lives carrying grudges around so that they ruin the rest of their lives. But as meditators, we break through the pattern of memory. Instead of remembering people and making them real, we see that in a moment, Memory and bitterness are changing conditions. We see that they are anicca, dukkha, anatta. They are formed in time, just like the sand grains of the Ganges River. Whether they are beautiful, ugly, black, or white, sand grains is all that they are. So listen inwardly. Recognize and let things come and go. These are just karmic conditions changing, so don't interfere. The tendency of the modern mind is to think that there is some ogre lurking way down deep inside, just waiting for an unguarded moment to overwhelm you and drive you permanently insane. <laughs> some people actually live their whole lives with that kind of fear, and every time the monster starts to come up, uh-oh. But monsters are just another mind moment another grain of sand of the Ganges River. Maybe an ugly sand grain, but that's all. If you're going to get upset every time you see an ugly sand grain, you're going to find life increasingly more difficult. <laughs> Sometimes we have to accept the fact that some sand grains are ugly. 
Let them be ugly. Don't get upset. Even a really ugly sand grain is just a sand grain. <laughs> so as we continue our practice, we keep repeating the practice, coming back to the breath, coming back to the moment. Along the way, we learn many skillful ways of working with ourselves. We learn many techniques, nurturing ways to help ourselves with all these difficulties, because basically no one's ever taught us, and we're relearning this all over again. And when I was at the, at the ranch, I also noticed ways that I had learned to take care of myself by going through these difficulties. And of course, because of where I was, one of the main things that helped me was the nature. And by really letting the nature hold me, going out to the river, walking up the rocks in the canyon, sitting in the beautiful grass filled with wildflowers, and just letting myself be held, looking at the birds, the little animals that were running around, and letting the mind go to these beautiful sights and smells and sounds maybe even letting myself get distracted a bit, but in a wholesome way, in a skillful way, because I don't need to be caught up with all this negativity and judgment and fear. So allowing the nature to soften, to help release the difficulty and the negativity. And here we have the nature all around us, we can use the nature here. Wendell Berry, maybe some of you are familiar with his poetry, he has such a lovely way of integrating his journey with nature. This is one of his poems. When despair for the world grows in me and I wake in the night at the least sound in fear of what my life and my children's lives may be. I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water and the great heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. I come into the presence of still water and I feel above me the day-blind stars waiting with their light. For a time, I rest in the grace of the world, and I'm free. For a time, we can rest in the grace of the world and feel free. And these are important moments to give ourselves. And we can make the choice to do that. I find more and more that it's important to distract myself skillfully 
You know, distraction has such a bad name in mindfulness practice. (laughs) But I find that there's a way of distracting myself so that when I find myself so caught up in some negativity and it wants to actually make me inactive and just want to wallow in what's happening, that that's not helpful. That's not, that's just being with that at that time is not helpful for me and probably not helpful for many people. So what's needed is as much as we can to pick ourselves up and get involved in something, to do something, take some kind of action, something hopefully that is nurturing or something that we like to do. In one of my worst moments this summer, I did pick myself up and I walked to the river with my sketchbook and my paints And within a half an hour, I was in another world. I was in an altered state of consciousness, totally loving the rocks and the water that I was painting. And I had completely forgotten about what had happened. And I was so appreciative of the fact that I was able to get myself up. Because so often these mind states, these emotions, they have such a power that they can immobilize us. And we need to, again and again, counteract that power with something skillful. We also need to feel. We need to feel what's happening in ourselves. So many of us have the tendency to stay cut off from here, from the neck, down and stay caught in the story, in the identification of what's going on, and not feel what's happening in the rest of the body. And so it's very helpful to just say to ourselves, what am I feeling right now? What's happening in my body? And start to kick that mechanism into gear where we really can feel, not be afraid to feel our bodies and what's happening in our bodies. And of course, as I said, the more that we can disidentify from the story, then the more we're able to feel because we're not building the story up about what it means. It can be very helpful to talk to someone, to get support, somebody who will listen, somebody who cares, somebody who can mirror back some love and care and support for us, if we have the good fortune to have somebody who we can talk to, can be very, very helpful. And of course, the metta. I'm finding more and more that the metta practice, maybe not even necessarily the formal metta practice that we do, although certainly that's wonderful, but bringing that attitude of metta to the experience. As much as we can, embracing ourselves again and again with that love and that care. And when we see ourselves being hard on ourselves, when we see ourselves being hard on other people, can we just in a moment shift that and recognize that just as that pattern of mind, ah, there it is again, there's that judging pattern. There's that anger, that irritation, and come into 
a place of metta, of kindness with ourselves. So we use all these different ways of, and means of working with ourselves in the practice, and we do it through repetition again and again and again. And we keep weakening that support, that construction of self and other, the solid construction of I. That support, that belief in this sense of self, and if there's a belief in self, there's going to be a belief in other, and this duality that plays. And as I continue to see through it and see through it, that support which holds this solid belief in the duality starts to wither. It starts to weaken. It doesn't have the support in consciousness anymore. And at some point, it collapses. It collapses. And there's no more support for that belief. There's the clear seeing that there is no self and there is no other. That there is just this flow of changing events. And when that happens, we call that entering the stream. Entering the stream of life, entering the stream of events, no separation. There's no more power for the mind to reconstruct its old beliefs as real. There's no more support in the mind for that. And there is knowing without doubt what is true. There may still be all the arisings in the mind and the body, but they're seen as like waves on a vast ocean, appearing and disappearing moment after moment. No belief in the self. After the Buddha's enlightenment, this is apparently what were the first words that were spoken by the Buddha. Seeking but not finding the house builder, I traveled through the round of countless births. Oh, painful is birth ever and again. House builder, you have now been seen. You shall not build the house again. Your rafters has, have been broken down. Your ridgepole is demolished too. My mind has now attained the unformed nirvana and reached the end of every kind of craving. I think that image of the house builder is so appropriate. How we construct this house for I, for self. The house builder was seen into, the house builder being craving for self-existence. Each of us has this potential to see through, 
to see the truth. And you've probably all had moments when that's happened already. You've seen that what is occurring is not who I am. It's just a passing flow, changing events. Yet all this has its own process. It all has its own process. We can't force any of this because we are nature and we are governed by the same laws as nature. Even though we want something to happen sooner or faster and why am I still where I am and why am I still going through this, we are in our own natural rhythm. Just as the sun rises in the morning, the moon appears at night, and the seasons change perfectly on time, and the flowers blossom, we don't need to rip open the petals because we don't think the flower is blossoming fast enough. <laughs> Everything's happening in its own time. All is revealed in its own time. We can let go of our agendas, our expectations, and, and settle into this flow, into this rhythm. And the doing of this cultivates patience and respect and metta and generosity. All the qualities for this delicate process of unfolding to our true nature. We just need to have the intention, the intention for our transformation, the intention for change to come. This intention is like a flame burning in us. We can feel this. This can take the desire for freedom or just the intention for happiness. And we need to nurture this flame. We need to nurture this intention and give it fuel. Give it what it needs because it's this flame that will be the light that guides us. Let's sit for a few minutes together. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.